1: You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter box. Welcome fans of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Wow, do we have an exciting episode for you. University of Minnesota baseball superstar to the Northwoods League of the Dubuque Mud Puppies, to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Rob Quinlan is joining us in studio today. Also, for all you people out there saying that I need to do a softball episode, I am joined in studio by Anaheim Angel Fanatic. Jason Luffelholtz, formerly of the Senior Rams Softball, Mississippi Valley Conference Coach of the Year, newly named Hempstead Mustang Softball Coach. So for you people asking me to do a softball episode, this is as close as you're going to get. This is the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, not the Dubuque Area Softball Podcast here. So to start off with our guest here, We have a seven-year veteran of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. He was the Big Ten Conference All-Star three times in 1997, 98, and 99. In 1999, he was the Big Ten Player of the Year. When he left the Big Ten Conference as a player, he was the conference leader in hits. When he left the University of Minnesota, he led the program in hits home runs, doubles, runs scored, RBIs and total bases. And he was just newly announced, named in the Minnesota Golden Gophers Hall of Fame. And also I did some research too. And he is on ESPN's all-time great team for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. He was drafted twice. Went on to play with them by the Angels out of the 10th round. We welcome Rob Quinlan to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. What an intro. I'm almost out of breath Holy there, Rob.
2: <laughs> that was an intro. Thanks for having me, fellas.
1: Hey, this this is so much fun. I, I am uh, glad that we are able to do this here. So, Rob, we're going to enter the stretch run here with Coach Maniman. First thing, I do also always want to tie it back to Dubuque. What was it like playing in Dubuque, Iowa for the Dubuque Mud Puppies?
2: It was awesome. I mean, it was a little uh, nervous at first heading down there. We had just finished uh, uh, my freshman year at the University of Minnesota. Uh, me and another guy that... that uh, you guys know as well, Craig Slander. Um, we both went down there for the summer. So we would, you know, we had just turned 19 years old. We were we were pretty young, and and honestly, it's a time in your life where you want to play baseball and you're excited, but you're literally driving down. We're in, we're up in Minnesota, and we're driving down to Dubuque, Iowa. Um, they say we're staying with a host family who we don't know, which turned out to be a great host family who we're still friends with today. But it's a lot of a uh, lot of stuff that you're nervous about heading down there. So just to get down to Dubuque the first time, we actually met the team in Rochester um, for a game or two down there before we actually made it to Dubuque. But uh, once we got to Dubuque and we settled in, and and you get back to the same old thing. You're playing baseball with a bunch of guys, a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and you're really just out there to have fun. And uh, the experience in Dubuque was great. It was a a great summer spot to be, and uh, a lot of lifelong friends that I made playing on that team and um, some local people like, like you, Nick, and... And some other friends that uh, I've got to know that you know real well. It's also so it was a great experience. Yeah, what year was that again, Rob? It was in the ninety uh, summer of nineteen ninety six. Okay.
1: Now, Rob, you are right. That's how we got connected, and we still are our friends today. And you've exper- you've uh, introduced me to a lot of great people in the baseball world. Now, the Northwoods League—it's debatable. Some will say it's the second best collegiate league. Some will argue that it's the third. But you also did play in the Cape Cod League, which is hands down the number one best collegiate league. How was it like playing in the Cape Cod League? And what were the differences between uh, that and the Northwoods League?
2: You know, you're right. Talent-wise, especially back in 1996, 97, 98, um, the Cape Cod was, was the league. That's where... Most, you know, you're very fortunate if you had an opportunity to go out and play in the Cape Cod League. So it was after my sophomore year, I got to go out there, played in the city of Katuit, the, the uh, Ketaliers out there. Give a shout out to them. Um, it's just a different experience. You know, you're, you're out on the Cape. All the teams are, are, are fairly close, but um, the league is definitely was definitely different. There's definitely some fields where the, uh, the, the outfield fence would be basically an orange, orange uh, snow fence a couple of fields and then there were a couple of fields were decent but it was a it was a it was a different overall experience i, I obviously liked the midwest a, a lot better but um definitely enjoyed my time out there like i said the talent level was was great played against a lot of guys um on my team and and against guys in other teams that made it to the major leagues so as far as the baseball level you could not you couldn't beat it but um it was one of the summers where we, we you know we had a decent team out there um i had, had a chance to have a decent summer but uh it was almost like I was happy that the season was over and I was coming home.
1: Who were some of those alumni that you would have played with or played against that made a big splash in the bigs?
2: Um, uh, to, to, Mike McDougal was a pitcher. Yep. Uh, he was actually on my, on, on our team. Um, you had um, um, Pena, the first baseman who played with Tampa for a while. Also he, played
1: with Oakland then traded yeah, to the Tigers yeah, for a yeah. piece, of, piece of buttered bread.
2: Yep, yep. He was he was uh, he was a great player. Eric Burns, is Burns, another guy. Right. There's an Oakland guy. For One you. of my
1: favorite players, Eric Burns. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. If you can set that up, Rob. I tweet him every single day.
2: All right, yeah. Burnsy's a good guy. Um, so uh, he's got uh, he's got a good buddy back in Minnesota by the name of Jason Dobas that he's buddies with. So I'll, I'll have to see if I can get him on here for you. But yeah, there's just a, a lot of talent all over the place. I mean, there's tons of guys on my team that that uh, made it to the minor leagues that were, you you, you know, I always say it's one of those things that, you know, the five or 10% of the players are all the superstars, but, you know, there's a lot of players you play with in the minor leagues that you think that are going to make it. And it's the same way out in Cape Cod. You you see some guys with talent and you're like, wow, that's that's a really good player right there. And, Some of them make it and some of them don't, but it was, uh, like I said, overall, it it was a good experience.
1: When you think of those collegiate leagues, names that pop into my head are Juan Pierre, who had a great major league career. Last year's home run champion, Pete Alonso, played for Madison and then Max Serzer also played in that Northwoods League as well. Now, Rob, I, yeah. I don't know if you were able to hit any of the local watering holes when you are in Dubuque since you are only 18, 19 years old, but what were some of the some of the restaurants in Dubuque and some of the watering holes maybe you stepped foot in and then got thrown out of there?
2: You know what's funny? We, we actually never, I think one time, um, we went out to, to see if we could go in to a, a bar restaurant. I couldn't even tell you what the name of it was. And... I think we were there for about a half hour, and and they finally told us we had to get out of there. So, typically, like, I mean, you know, you're 18, 19. We hung out with a lot of host families. Um, Like I said, the host family, the Hall family, um, Nick Hall, who's an awesome, he was our bat boy, um, who lives up in Minnesota today, a good friend of ours. Um, We stayed there, and we kind of hung out a lot. We played a lot of, you know, maybe we are a little bit dorky, but we played a lot of video games and sat down in in the Hall's basement and, and played down there with Nick and, uh, maybe we, you know, maybe the, the parents were uh, you knew we snuck some beer in a few times, but uh, they were uh, they were super cool about it, and uh, just a uh, just a fun place to to hang out. But yeah, as far as the, the, being out on the town and stuff, I, I mean, very rarely did we go out on the town. If anything, we were typically at other other players' houses. And the say so, so you're under you're under 21, and you're moving to Dubuque, it's like
0: you got to get you got to get to know a few people and then get out. I mean, I could see that. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, it was, it was, and you remember too, like, you're busy, you're playing every day. I mean, that yeah. back then, I think we were playing maybe 60 games, and so you're, you're not, you're not, uh, you know, having a lot of days off. I think maybe you had, like, two days off the whole summer, unless you maybe got a rain delay or a rain out. But, uh, yeah. I mean, for the most part, too, it was a time, like, I mean we go to the, we are working out a lot. I mean, we are skinny little 18, 19-year-olds, so we're trying to put weight on, trying to get bigger, stronger, But, um, you know, you definitely got to kick back and have some fun too every now
1: and then. Also, you're trying to get get discovered as well. And you did have a great host family, great people. I had heard that that your host family, the Halls were such a great family that people left their other uh, host families and they had like eight or nine players in that basement there. Now, Rob, I read something about you on Wikipedia and I have to know if this is true because this seems too good to be true. Is it true? your junior year of high school, that you reached base in 86 straight plate appearances. Is that true?
2: Well, I think, yeah, I think you said it yourself. It sounds too good to be true. So I, I knew you were going to bring that up. Wait, stop. That's on Wikipedia here, bud. Come I, on I know. You know what's funny <laughs> is is I get that question asked to me more about myself and my baseball career, I feel like, then than playing in the major leagues. It is crazy how many people. And so I don't know how that gets on Wikipedia, but I'll run into local you know, sportscasters around here and they'll ask the same thing you just did, is, is, is how did that happen? Like, how could you actually get on base 86 times? And it's like, that's impossible. I mean, think about it too, in the state of Minnesota, you know, your summer or your uh, your spring baseball, how we do it up here is your high school. You're lucky if you get 60 at bats you know 86 at bats to get on base um so i don't know it's kind of a funny stat i don't know how it got started i don't know how it got on wikipedia but um i always like talking about it and, and you're right it's the first thing you see is you're you're like that can't be true no way but then you say it's on wikipedia it must be true right but uh no i'll, I'll debunk it right now it's fake news But uh, it's always kind of a fun thing to talk about.
1: So this was fake news before fake news even was in the mainstream media. It's crazy because I, Jason, had texted me and goes, did you believe he made base? He made it safe in 86-played appearance? I'm like, that's false. It's got to be 86 straight games. And then I had shared with Jason that I didn't even think right now during my prime I could reach base 86 times in a five-year-old t-ball game. So we
0: are – Actually, you know, hey, and I'm looking on Wikipedia right now. Usually they have – Some citations or something. There's nothing by it. It literally, and I'm reading this word for word, His junior year in 1994, Quinlan reached base 86 consecutive times, garnering praise from newspapers around the country. Yeah. But it doesn't have any citation or nothing, so that's kind of funny.
1: I, I think that was a Rob Quinlan or a Nick Hall burner account that uh, put <laughs> yeah, that on there. Yeah, I MP. think so.
2: That that would not surprise me if uh, if a, a buddy of mine. But you think by now someone would have came forward and said something. But you know, you you could be right. Maybe maybe it was is eighty six games, and somehow it got twisted and turned, and someone wrote the wrong thing. But I mean, like you said, eighty six games. That's 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 really hard to do. So I, I don't know how the, how the, how the stats on there, but, uh, let's just keep it up there. Why not?
1: Yeah, let's do it. And, but you do have one impressive streak. You were in 2004, the major league record holder with a 21 game hit streak that was later broken by Ichiro Suzuki. Tell us about that 21 game hit streak you had in 2004 when you were a rookie.
2: Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was pretty special, um. You know, technically, it was considered my rookie year. I was I was brought up halfway through the year before, but didn't qualify uh, enough plate appearances, so I still had my rookie status the following year. And it, it's kind of funny because I, I mostly played first base and outfield, and and it was one of those things about a month into the season and not really playing a whole lot. And you know, I kind of told the coaches that I played third base too before, and really I played a little bit in college third base, and, and that was about it. I hadn't played there since college and and so one day next thing you know they're they're taking me out to third base for early work for ground balls and and sure enough uh i think it was troy gloss gets hurt and who's playing third and next thing you know they're i got thrown into a game at the end of a game against we were playing interleague against the cubs and they're like you're going to third base and you know it's kind of like all right well I, I can do this i mean i don't know exactly all the all, all the things over at third but we'll figure it out and then it just kind of started shortly after that i got a chance to play every day and it was one of those things, too, that I had a 21-game hitting streak, but a lot of the times I was typically batting 7th or 8th in the lineup. And, and we, had, we had a really good team that year, so we were winning a lot of games. And so a lot of the times, just because I didn't have much experience at third base, that you know I was getting taken out of the game you know, in the 7th inning, maybe the 8th inning, maybe the 6th inning. I mean, I think out of those 21 games, there was I don't think there was more than a handful of games where I actually had four at-bats. It was usually like I had three at bats and got taken out of the game. And actually, the game that I, I lost it, we were playing the Orioles, and uh, same thing. We were we were up and and uh, I was zero for three, and but I had some good at bats and was feeling good, and and I got taken out for def- defensive replacement. So
0: kind of a little bummed
2: about that, but but it was more so I was just happy that I was getting the chance to play a lot more, getting in the games. You know, it feels good when you're in there playing every day and you're contributing and and you feel like you're you know you're you're helping out more than than what you normally were doing. So overall, I mean, it was a great three-week three week stretch. I mean, a lot of the guys, it wasn't one of those things where it was a streak and guys, you know, they don't, they don't talk about it because they don't want to jinx it. I mean, every day I'd come into the locker room and Troy Percival, our closer, would be like, oh, what's your streak at? You're going to get a hit today. You're going to get it early. You're going to get it late. What are you going to do? Like guys were joking about it so i was just enjoying it i had a great time and and like i said during that stretch of 21 games i think i want to say we won like 16 games so it was just overall a a, a fun streak and and uh you know ichiro came around and, and he broke it i think uh maybe a year or two later but uh, yeah, it was it was a great time. It was something something obviously I was very proud about.
1: Leave it to Percival to razz on the rookie about his hitting streak there, huh? Those veterans uh, hazing the rookies. Now, do you remember how it how it came to an end? You did say the game. Uh, you're, did you? Was it a line drive on a diving catch or or any? Do you recall that? at yeah, all? Yeah, no.
2: I was kind of saying it was just. A, I got. I was taken out of the game as a defensive replacement after three at bats, and I was I was set to lead off. We were at home, the, the bottom of the eighth inning. And they took me out in the top VA, so I never had a chance to get that fourth at bat to to try to get a hit. But um, that's how it goes, you know, you just got to enjoy it. And, and, you know, more like I said, more importantly, it showed the coaches that, you know, I could play there. And, you know, it just really laid the, the groundwork for being able to play there for many of the years.
1: I have a prediction here if you did not get pulled from that game, the hitting streak is still going on today, 16 years later. And I'm confident in that prediction. I heard that you being taken out is what led to Mike Socha's firing. Is that true or not?
2: No, I definitely don't (laughs) think that's true. Uh, Socha was uh, obviously uh, 14 years later. Yeah. Socha was a a great manager. Uh, I mean, managed for so many years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and uh, no, that uh, that had nothing to do with, with him. He, uh, he had a fabulous career. And I
1: actually do not, I, do, I did misspeak there. I don't believe that he was fired. I think his contract just ran out, and he just wanted to do something else, and they, they just wanted to bring, bring somebody else in there. Now, Rob, you had a great minor league career. You were named the Angels Minor League Player of the Year and MVP of the PLC. Um, what was it like when you got that call that you were going to play with the big league club?
2: You know, everyone kind of has a, a different story and, and mine was definitely a kind of a unique, unique story. We were actually playing in uh, Tacoma, Washington against the Tacoma triple A team. And uh, that day was, uh, I was, I was actually had the day off. It was a Sunday afternoon. We were playing up there. and I think I'd been playing for about a month straight and the manager, uh, Mike Brumley um, gave me the day off and, Kind of how it happens in, in the in the minor leagues is you have you know you'll have three coaches on the team, and you'll have a trainer, and that's and that's all you have, and and you have your, your manager, your pitching coach, your hitting coach, and, and the trainer, and and the manager was going out to coach third base, and it was like in the sixth inning, and the uh, the trainer's cell phone rings. When the cell phone rings, usually it means somebody got hurt, someone's moving somewhere, something's happening and uh the manager because i had the day off he actually told me he goes go out and coach third base i got they need to talk to me so i'm out coaching third base and and i I don't even remember thinking back on how i did coaching third or whatnot came back in after the inning and, and really didn't even think anything about it like usually it seemed like at that time we were shipping a lot of pitchers back and forth and uh the manager came down and sat next to me and he's like he goes, you know he just called? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of had a, a feeling once he said that, my heart started beating, and I kind of said no. And he's like, well, you're going up to the big leagues. And it was just like, it was just so cool. Like, you know, especially it was one of the guys that, that our trainer at the time is a guy named Adam Nevela, who's actually from Virginia, Minnesota, and he's been actually the head trainer. He came up through the minor leagues with me. And he was currently the head trainer with the, the Los Angeles Angels. And, you know, for him to, you know, get the news first and pass it on. And then he was the first one to come over. And I mean, it was just really cool. And, you know, you can't, you can't talk to people fast enough and tell them, right. But you can't do anything because it's in the middle of a game and, and the manager said, Hey, just don't say not until after, but people know, like people saw right away. And then people started saying, you know, congrats. And then, you know, after the game right away, I called my parents and, and uh, just kind of started letting everybody know. But yeah, it was such a, such a cool feeling. I mean, you don't ever really think about playing in the big leagues. I mean, I guess you do growing up because you're you're trying to act like other big leaguers and everything. You just you don't really know if it's ever gonna happen, right? And then to get to that point and you're like all this hard work and, and everything you've did to get to this point and then actually get the call up is it was it was awesome.
1: You know, when I look at you on baseball reference, you just had monstrous minor league stats. They were huge. And then when I look at your major league career, it was hit or miss um, every other year. You'd have a great year, and then you'd struggle a year, and then you'd have another great year. And knowing you personally, I know you battled a lot of injuries, but I could really tell by looking at your stats on BaseballReference.com the years that you were really healthy and and the years where you were battling that nagging uh, shoulder injury. Tell us about your first start, your first hit, and that, that first home run.
2: Yeah, the first... Uh um, first start was uh we played the oakland a's your team there we played the a's and uh it was the uh um
1: what loser was, pitcher was it what's that well i said what loser pitcher was it because i'm sure we sucked during that stretch
2: no that's uh, it was in 2003 that's when you guys were uh oh, yeah, you guys were good yeah so that's there right. was a uh, there was a pitcher by the name of Barry Zito on the mound that night. I was just going to say Barry I, Zito. I just
1: ordered his book. I'm trying to get him as a uh, guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, Barry.
2: Yeah. So, uh, face Barry Zito, uh, first at first at bat, first Major League bat. You know, that was the time, uh, you know, they had the big three, him and Mulder and, and uh, Hudson and, and Zito. I, I think he was maybe coming up, you know, the Cy Young the year before. And, uh, you know, first at bat. Um, go up to face him and, and you kind of watch a little bit of video of before and, and you know he's got the big curveball and everything and uh, I remember taking the first pitch as a strike and then the second pitch I'll never forget he threw a pitch through the curveball and uh, he's, a, he's a lefty he throw the big curveball in there and it started up at, like above my head literally my first thought was oh, that's a ball and then the, the, the curve on it just dropped right down into the strike zone and I was like holy cow that's that's I've never seen a pitch like that before and uh, had two strikes on me right away, and um, I think I grounded out a couple of times that game. I was 0 for 3, didn't have any hits, and then um, I kind of had a, a, a stretch there my first basically week in the, in, in the major leagues. We, we finished the one-game series with Oakland, and then the next day the Yankees came into town. So the first game of that series was against Andy Pettit, and uh, that was my first major league hit off Andy Pettit. Hit like a soft liner out into right center field and um, ended up having, I think, three for four that game. And then uh, the next day I got a chance to face Roger Clemens and uh, got a couple of hits off of him. And then David Wells was the third day, didn't get any hits off of him. And then uh, after that, we traveled to Boston. We had a day off and uh, the first game against Boston was uh, Pedro Martinez. So that was kind of my first week in the big leagues. Those were the guys that I was facing. And uh, it was good. I liked it. I loved it. It threw me right into the fire and had a chance to face some of the best players that have ever played the game. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I just – yeah. yeah. I'm
1: sorry. I just read uh, Barry Zito's book. It's called Curveball. Maybe if I give him a shameless plug, I want to be a guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. What about that first home run?
2: Yeah, the first home run was in Seattle. Um, Ron Valone left-handed oh, pitcher
1: I was going to guess Jamie Moyer
2: Yeah no no Valone uh, was pitching and uh it was an, actually an opposite field homer he was he was kind of just throwing a lot of fastballs away and and uh really just kind of drove one the other way and just barely got over the fence but uh that was that was the first homer so it was pretty cool that's was, it was it was a cool feeling running around the bases and obviously you hit it opposite field you don't know if it's going to go out I knew I got it pretty good but you know, once I knew it was over the fence, like, it was, it was a cool feeling. I was pretty happy.
1: I know you probably have your ball from the first hit. Were you able to retrieve your ball from your first home run?
2: Yes, I did. Actually, actually, the, uh, so the first hit, actually, um, uh, I do have the ball. And, and years later, um, when Andy Pettit was with Houston, we were playing Houston interleague. And you kind of always heard maybe Andy was a little tough to go up and talk to or whatnot. And, uh, um I think he kind of just like to keep to himself, but uh, you know, I went up to him in the outfield and you know introduced myself, and he's like, "I know who you are." And I said, "I don't know if you know this, but you were my first major league hit." Um, I was wondering if you could just sign a baseball for me, like you're one of my favorite pitchers, and couldn't have been any nicer. I mean, he's like, "Yep, whatever you need, send a ball over; I'll send one back to you." And, and uh, so it was really cool, cool to get that. And then um, the, the first home run, we were actually in Seattle, and uh, my agent was there. And uh, he actually went up to the guy, and it was kind of funny because my agent had a guy on Seattle by the name of Bucky Jacobson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Big Bucky Jacobson, and uh, at that time, Buck was uh, Bucky was was having it was his rookie year too, and he was kind of the big deal in Seattle because he was this big six foot five monster guy. He was hitting home runs, and the whole whole town loved him. And so I hit this home run, and my agent. Had the guy that caught the ball come down after the game, and he's like, "Hey, we get the baseball. This is my client, Rob Quinlan." And the guy basically was like, well, "What? What do you? What can you give me?" And he's like, "Well, I have to see if you know maybe we can get you a Garrett Anderson bat, or Tim Salmon, or or uh, or or the guy, or my agent goes say, you know, maybe from someone from Seattle." He goes, "My client's Bucky Jacobson." And the guy stopped right there. He goes, Bucky, you got Bucky? I'll take a Bucky bat, a Bucky ball. I mean, whatever we could give him. So Bucky Jacobson was uh, a good buddy. of Mine still is. And it was really nice that he, uh, he gave the fan, you know, um, a couple of things. So that fan would give me the baseball.
1: Now, we do know that Andy Pettit had that great pickoff move. After you got that first hit, did he pick you off first base?
2: Nope, no, he didn't. Nope, I knew better. I knew better not to stray too far from first base.
1: You, you, had, a, you had a one foot lead, probably, huh? Yep,
2: yep.
1: <laughs> now, when you played, you, you were known for hitting left handers well. Who were some of the most difficult pitchers you faced when you were in the big leagues?
2: You know what? I, people, that's always another question you get quite a bit. I, I would say typically there wasn't, there was more of the guys that threw harder. It wasn't like certain guys that I felt like were, that I couldn't hit against. It was more of the guys, though, that just threw a lot harder. The guys that were throwing in the, you know, the mid to upper 90s. I just felt like I was maybe a little bit slower getting around on the pitches. So it was more a lot of the relievers, the closers. I thought I maybe, you know, struggled a little bit against left. lefts. Um, you know, partially maybe, too, because I did, I did kind of slot into and wasn't planned. I felt like I could always hit right-handers, and, and, but I kind of ended up playing against a lot of lefties. So... So you face a lot of the lefties tend to be your softer throwing pitchers, and I mean I had tons of at bats against Barry Zito, Jamie Moyer, Mark Burley. I mean those are the guys that I probably had my three best numbers off of in my career was facing those guys. So it's uh, it's kind of all over, but I obviously there's a tons of great pitchers uh, that that I got to face, and it was just more the experience of, of, of going up in a bat against those guys and having a chance to to do something for your team.
1: Now I thought of this and I don't know if it's just a story that I completely made up in my head or if we have actually had this conversation before you were once in a bench clearing brawl against the Chicago White Sox and if if memory serves me correctly you had to hold back the big hurt Frank Thomas and during this brawl you guys were holding each other back is is that true or is that something that I completely made up
2: No, that's a that is a true story. But uh, actually, it was when later in his career, another Oakland A reference. This is when the big hurt was with Oakland.
1: Oh, this is when he had that MVP year, and he came in third, and the writers totally ripped him off. Yeah, he is the MVP that year, hands down. Yep.
2: Yep. So we were facing, we were playing in Angel Stadium, and uh, John Lackey, a pitcher that you guys you know, Nick and and uh, Jason and. And a guy that was a good buddy of mine, and, and he was pitching, and uh, Jason Kendall was up to bat. And there'd been kind of some bad blood with Oakland, and, and uh, Lackey ended up hitting Kendall. And at the time, I was playing first base, and Kendall charged the mound. And Lackey kind of threw Kendall, and he kind of went flying into me and knocked me on the ground. And the big hurt was, obviously, he was on deck, so he was like the third or fourth guy in the pile. And it looked like I thought he was going to go and grab Lackey and kind of throw a punch at him. And so I was like, oh, boy, this is not good. So I jumped on Big Hurts' back and basically was trying to get my arms around him. And, I mean, he's just such a strong, big guy. And he he turned around and looked at me, and I'm like, oh, this is not good. You know, at this (laughs) point, there's people jumping all over. And somehow we kind of rolled off to the side of the pile. And and I'm just waiting for him to try to do something. And And I do have him. I'm grabbing him. But sure if he wanted to flick me off pretty quick he could have but um, you know one of my nicknames was Q and, and he's like Q I'm just trying to break it up I'm just trying to break it up and I'm thinking thank God thank God I didn't want to get into a fight with the Big Hurt um, which I, I probably should have known that I mean the Big Hurt I mean reputation of such a nice guy and a friendly guy and, and it was just kind of a funny story that uh, that's the guy I ended up uh, kind of getting tangled up with in the pile.
1: I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to have look uh, look for that on YouTube. And next time you talk to John, I know John Lackey is one of your best friends. Will you thank him personally for me, uh, everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, for drilling Jason Kendall? Because he came to the A's and he sucked. Couldn't hit it. One lick. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let him
0: know. All right. I'll let
1: him know. Yeah, tell him, tell him uh, I say thank you for that. Um yep. Now – We had referenced this a little bit before, but yeah, you said that you had your greatest success against uh, those left-handed pitchers and Mark Burley. Um, You actually got a playoff start against the White Sox against Mark Burley, and you hit a home run um, off him. But that game is more known for when uh, A.J. Przinski stole first base. Now, I've watched that video before this interview multiple times, and I believe that your catcher uh, caught the ball. So what are your thoughts on that whole thing and, and how it transpired?
2: Yeah, it was in 2005 in the playoffs. It was, uh, um, we, it was in the uh, ALCS. We were playing the White Sox, and we actually had won game one, and it was uh, game, game two there in, in Chicago. And uh, yeah, I got a chance to start. Actually, was lucky enough to get a home run early in the game. By the way, for the for the record, as an
0: Angel fan, this is tough for me to listen to and sit through. But
1: <laughs> were you at that game, Jason?
0: No, no. But I was. I mean, I was watching. I remember everything he's talking about. Game two, we had won. Game one. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, man. No, Continue, no, no, but yeah, no,
2: it's uh, this it, just gets me it, going it, right now. <laughs> you know, it, it's it. You're right. We were playing the White Sox. It, it, and I definitely thought we were a better team than the White Sox. And game two, it was tied in the – in the uh, um, I think we ended up – it was in the bottom of the ninth and the White Sox were up and, and there was a guy on uh, – there was nobody on. A.J. Pierzynski was up to bat with two outs. And uh, it was a called third strike that basically got, they thought it got tipped and then they thought it hit the dirt. But as, as you were saying, it, the catcher caught it. He gets his glove underneath the ball. And, and if you look back at the video, it, it looks like the umps given the sign for, like, a third strike. And, Absolutely. And the, team was, the inning was going to be over. And so the catcher rolls the ball off. We start running in. And A.J. Brzezinski runs down to first base. And everyone's like, "What is, you know, what is he doing? That's just Brzezinski. He's always doing some goofy, wacky stuff. And next thing you know, they say he's safe. He's on first. And, you know, there wasn't a... Uh, at the time, you know, we were like, all right, that's all right. We'll just get the next out and we'll move on and we're going to win this game anyways and, and we're going to win this series and go on. And, I mean, talk about momentum, Turner. I mean, that was, I mean, right from then on, you know, the next guy I think was Joe Creedy, I think, and, and got the double and ended up scoring the run and, and winning, it, winning the game. And we were down one-to-one. And after that, we went back to Anaheim and they just they kicked our butts back there. I mean, it was it was just such a momentum turner, and and uh, just one of those years. Yeah, I mean, now you think now you, know, you think back on it now, it's like you know we should have been up two games to nothing, going back to Anaheim and, and had a chance to go to the World Series that year, and and uh, and and the White Sox ended up winning the World Series that year. But uh, yeah, the umpire I won't say his name, but uh, he's he's uh, he when they came back to uh, Anaheim, I tell you what, there was booze the whole game towards Tim and. You know, it's, it's one of those things you got to remember too. It's, it's a sport at the end of the day, but you know what? We're out there playing for, cause we want to win. We want to win for your city, for the fans, for everything. And, uh, I mean, I felt bad for those umpires that whole series when we were back in Anaheim.
1: Yeah, that was a difficult call to make. I know I've watched the video multiple times preparing for this, and you can clearly tell that it's in the catcher's uh, webbing of his glove. It never hit. One thing I always wondered is AJ started to walk back to the dugout. As soon as he started to head back to the dugout, that's when the catcher rolled the ball out, and I always thought it was a rule that once you head back to the dugout, you're giving yourself up and you're automatically out um one of the announcers of the game goes and Quinlan is at the pitcher's mound pleading with the umpire so when you are <laughs> pleading with the umpire what are you what are you telling him there what are you talking to him about do you remember that or not
2: I mean no vaguely I mean I remember I mean I can I remember the video where we were all we were kind of around around the mound and Ersted was playing first and he was around the mound and and uh, we had X Stein and Kennedy. And
0: Were you playing third that game?
2: Third base, yeah. Okay, because
0: I, I do. I remember Darren Erstad out there.
2: Yep, okay. Yeah, Okay. She was at first, and and uh, it was more like I think I was just telling him like, first of all, the catcher caught the ball, and secondly, you know, you made the sign that that he was out. You know, and I mean, it would have been very the, simple. For
0: the very next night, they started doing this on any you know, yeah. If it, if bounced yep. bouncer, I yeah, it gets me going. Well, when when Brzezinski took a step back towards home and then also uh, towards the dugout and then towards first base, if you watch the umpire, he was ready to step back and change of innings. But then all of a sudden it's like he was confused. And you saw him like, well, maybe the ball did touch a dirt. Maybe that is the case. And then it's like they didn't feel like he just thought he'd let it go. Like, well, the Angels will probably get the next out. It'll be a moot point. And, of course, yeah. it wasn't. But I remember just being discussed. Like, even the umpire was like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe he didn't catch the ball, and maybe the you know maybe he should get first base. That's what yeah. got me going. But
2: yeah, no, I'm with you. Now that you bring it up here, you get me going too. Um, <laughs> you know, Josh Paul was the catcher for us at that time, and and uh, you know Josh is a he's a coach in the major leagues, um, a very smart player, and uh, you know he, he would have been the first one to 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 just tag Brzezinski right away if he thought that there was any doubt that that ball hit the dirt. And like you said, Brzezinski started walking the other way. The umpire was looked like he put up his hand to say he was out, and everyone thought it was over with. And, and like I said, it would, it would have taken Josh one second to tag him if he thought. Why was wouldn't Any doubt? Any doubt? When you see the hitter walking back, you think you caught the ball. You know he's he's rolling the ball back. I don't blame him. I would have done the same thing. And then just for everything to change. And, and Jason, I think you made a good point. I think that that the umpire just kind of kind of froze like yes yeah. and like okay did i miss something did something happen here you know why is this going on and i think what was probably more disappointing about the whole situation is that when the umpires came together that they made the call stand like just everything that went into it like yep. everyone was wasn't like we were just saying oh maybe maybe he was you know maybe he should be on first everyone was arrayed out there about what it just happened the coaches were going crazy and you know you just thought okay the 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 um, umpires are going to get together here, they're going to overturn it, and then they don't. And you know, you got to move on just like that, as, as frustrating as it is. You got to flip that switch and be ready in case the next ball is hit at you. And you know, unfortunately, things just didn't turn out well for us that game, but it was a huge momentum swing in that whole series. That one was, thing I will give oh, the White ahead, Sox
0: Jason. sorry, I'll just say this one thing I will give the White Sox during that whole uh, uh playoff series, and you know, for them is how many complete games they're starting pitchers through in that series, but in the World Series. I mean, I would have loved to have seen us, you know, and you guys continue on, of course. But, boy, their they're starting pitchers that whole playoff series, man, they were buzzsaws. They were, were unbelievable. I don't, I'd don't, i have to look up how many complete games those guys had uh, yeah. during the playoffs. I mean, I kind of say this very tongue-in-cheek, but I always thought they won the World Series despite Ozzie again because they didn't have to make any – <laughs> pitching decisions really because they were just throwing so many complete games, it was unbelievable.
2: Yeah, yeah. you had you had uh Burley, who was who I mean, yeah, was always a guy that would throw you know, seven to nine innings. Um, that's when uh Contreras, who came from the Yankees, yeah, uh, that's who I couldn't remember um, his name. I mean, he he was uh, he was throwing that split finger, and I mean, he was pretty dominant. And uh, I'm trying to think who else they had back then. Um, another tall righty, I'm trying to draw a blank on his name, but uh. Yeah, they had uh, their pitching was great. Yeah. They didn't uh it wasn't like we got into their bullpen. I mean, like I said, after game two, I mean uh I mean it was just a complete swing. We went out to Anaheim and and, and I mean they they were dominant pitching, they were hitting, I mean you know, those three games, like I said, they, they, they whooped up on us. So they definitely deserve to, to be in the World Series.
1: I hadn't seen Mike Socha move that fast since his playing days when he came out to the, to the um, umpires to argue. Now, one question for you. When Joe Creedy hits that double in A.J. Pruszynski's round in second base, did you ever have it in your mind that you wanted to do a Kyle Farnsworth on Paul Wilson and tackle him and just start going to town on him? Did that ever well, cross your mind at all or not?
0: No. Real, real no. quick, I'm mean going to interject this. If I remember right, Brzezinski was out. They had a pinch runner. Yep. He stole second base, and then they hit the double. I was on the phone when this was all going on, and the guy was calming me down. He's like, don't, they'll get the out. Sure enough. And I'm like, nope, you watch Creed get a hit by me. And he did. And I about through my remote through the team. <laughs> yeah, I
1: am yeah, glad yeah, I'm, p- they, I have you did, here
2: did, fact they, checking me. I do. I remember yep, they did like, bring in the, the, uh, the pinch runner. Um, I was thinking he must've stole second, but I didn't know if he was still on first, but yeah, Creedy hit that line drive down the left field line and, and, um, you know, it was over with. And like I said, though, at the time, like we weren't like, I mean, guys are mad after the game. Don't get me wrong. It it felt like, you know, I mean, there was no guarantee we were going to win that game either, but it felt like, you know, it was just taken from us. It was taken out of our hands. We had no control over it. And, um, That was the only game that I believe the White Sox lost in the playoffs
0: that year, too, was you guys beating them game one. Game one, yep. Yep. I mean, they were good. Yeah.
1: Now, Rob, very few people know this about Joe Madden, and I do want to appease the Cub fans here in the Dubuque area that listen to the podcast. Now, when you played for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Joe Madden was your manager, and here's why I dislike Cub fans. They have Joe Madden, great manager. He gives you your four best years you've ever had, and then you're excited to see him go. He should he still should be managing in Chicago. But I would say that Joe Madden is the second best manager in baseball behind behind, behind Bob Melvin of the Oakland A's.
2: Now, what? I, how did I know you were going to say him? How did I know you were going to say Melvin? Well, look
1: at all the awards he's won. He, he wins manager of the year. He should win it every single year, but they feel bad giving it to him every single year. <laughs> But what was it about uh, Joe Madden when he was your bench coach in Los Angeles that made him such a great coach and you knew that he was going to be a great manager?
2: You know, he he had spent his whole career with the Angels. He was a a player in the minor leagues, um, worked his way up when he was done playing in the minor leagues, and worked his way up to be a coach in the major leagues. And uh, Joe just had a, he kind of had an outside of the box thinking, but he also was a guy that he didn't he let kind of players do what they had to do he was more of hey you've made it this far in your life you got to this point why am I going to come in and and, and change everything you're doing you know obviously you got seems like a player's coach
0: what's that sorry he seems like a very big players coach and I'm hoping right
2: now that that's something that the angels really respond to as an angel fan but yeah I mean he kind of lets I know after he had left uh the angels he went to Tampa when he was finally the uh the manager down there and You know, it's like, come on out and stretch whenever you want. Get ready when you need to. You know, this is your career. Like, if 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 you're messing up, I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to get someone in here that can play. But he kind of lets players do what they want. He's just a laid-back, fun guy. Um, You know, and it's always a little bit easier when you're the bench coach rather than the manager. The manager obviously gets a little bit more heat from, you know, the the media and everything, and the bench coach is a little bit more in the background. But So, I mean, he was a a very well-liked coach in Anaheim. And, uh Uh, Obviously, he's gone on to have a great career, but um, I was very lucky to have. I mean, our our staff coaches back then was uh, Mike Sosha was the manager. Yeah, Joe Madden, was the bench coach, who's been managing the big leagues, like you said, with the Cubs, and and now back with the Angels. Um, Bud Black was our pitching coach. Um, He's managed with the Padres and the Rockies for a ton of years now. And uh, the current manager, uh, Ron Renike, that's back up in Boston, who was in Milwaukee for a bunch of years. Um, I mean, those are our four managers. I mean, those guys are four coaches with Soch being the manager. I mean, those guys have managed a lot of games in the big leagues between all of them. And uh, I think it was just a combination that we had, some, you know, some really good coaches when I was there. And it was just really the turning around of the Angels. I mean, really, Jason, you know, there was a lot of down years by in the '90s and and, and leading oh, yeah. up to I think, I think Socha's first year in 2000 or '99. I mean, maybe 100 losses and 2000. I mean, Yep, yep. And things turned around. I mean, I know I was drafted in 1999, and, um, you know, we had, we had me, we had John Lackey, we had uh, Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod. Um, at the time, we had just gotten uh, Sean Figgins, um, yeah. um, who ended up playing. He came from the Rockies over. Uh, uh, Alfredo Amadzaga. I mean, we had a lot of good players. I mean, we went through the minor leagues. We, we won multiple championships. We were in the playoffs every year. I mean, we were the team, one of the teams to beat every year, going up through the minor leagues, and it really just carried on into the major leagues. And obviously, there were some guys there that were obviously really good players that uh, maybe starting towards the end of their career. But then we started signing great free agents, and and uh, I mean, it was a great. I was there for eight years. It was a great stretch during during the two thousands. I
0: thought it was a, it was a great time to be a an Angels fan. I mean, it, I know we only made the one World Series in '02. And I think we missed it in three, but then we won the West or you know or you guys did and I believe yeah. like four, five, maybe seven eight nine ten so I mean there was yeah. like yep. six six or seven years there out of the uh you know nine or ten so yeah I yeah. I think, I think and seven there was a ten. lot of turnover I mean we got Guerrero you know like you said a free a couple of free agents Bartolo clone was in there yeah. uh, and one of the, one of the Cy young there and I think that might have been 05 yeah yeah and, uh, yeah some great players yeah. yeah yeah it was it was a
2: great time it was fun i mean we had a, we had a fun team too it wasn't like you know i think nowadays i think things are a little bit more calm and people kind of go their own ways i mean you know after a game we you know we'd go back to the hotel we'd play cards there'd be eight ten guys in a room you know we might go out for a couple of cold ones and it wouldn't just be like me and another guy there'd be you know 15 guys there there'd be family you know families are in town you tell your families to come out. Oh, your your dad's in town. Bring him out. Let's go. It was like everyone was welcome. We hung out a lot. Um, you know, it, you have a lot of different you know backgrounds, personalities, ethnicities, and everything. But we all got along great. I mean, it was it was a fun group of guys. So I, I can
1: I can attest to that with the family atmosphere. I remember that one time in Chicago, you invited us down to the dugout and then invited us to the players' hotel afterward, and it was me and. Probably ten to fifteen big leaguers talking baseball, we met Jerry Springer that night. He was at the same watering hole we were, which was cool and then one of my biggest regrets in life is you were playing in Minnesota, and you would ask Nick Hall and you and ask me if we wanted to come and shag fly balls in the outfield when you guys were playing in in minnesota during batting practice and i think i maybe i had my first day of college that day and it probably wouldn't have been a smart thing for me to miss out one last question before we get to the around the horn section here is you were a coach at the university of minnesota do you ever have any plans or any aspirations of getting uh coaching at the big league level
2: no i don't know i I think that's one of those things if you're going to do it i think you got to get into it um, right when you're done playing, just um, it, it, it gets to be tough. You get back, you get back home, and you kind of like being around your family and friends, and and working back home now. And and, and so I, I don't think that route will ever go. I had a great time at the University of Minnesota, coaching, love coaching the college kids. Um, they had some other great coaches, and John Anderson, who's been there forever, um, is just a really good coach, really good guy. So I had a great time uh, coaching at the university. But, uh, you know, if if I was to coach again, it would probably be local here. I I probably wouldn't go back to anything professional where you're traveling around all the time.
1: Hey! Is this heaven? No. It's the Around the horn section of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Five random questions that the guests were not prepped for. The former big leaguer, Dubuque Mud Puppy, and Minnesota Golden Gopher Superstar. We're going to throw them a curveball and change it up a little bit. So, Rob, I am going to throw you teammates that you played with, and I want you to rapid-fire quick first thing that comes into your head. First Alrighty. teammate of yours, Vladimir Guerrero. Superstar.
2: Superstar. He was a superstar. He was, he was good.
1: Is it true that he loved to play Madden?
2: No, I don't. I've never heard that. Never heard that. But he was, he was a hard worker. He was the first one out there. He was a hard worker, but, uh, he he was, he was definitely a superstar.
1: All right. This guy is one of my favorites. John Lackey.
2: Lackey. Yeah, he's, Lackey's, he's a good guy. Sometimes I think he gets a little bad rap because he's a little intense out there on the mound. But, um, a good buddy of mine, someone that's taken care of me through the years, um, just a, a special friend to me and a good good guy.
1: Um, I, whenever he would pitch, I would always text the people that I was with in Chicago with you that night when I met John Lackey, and I would always text, John Lackey bought us a beer, and it was always, whenever he would pitch or whenever he was on TV, somebody would always send that text to the other person. He was super nice guy. Uh, what about yeah.
2: Krod? rod he was he was filthy. He was good. I mean, he was uh, he took the took the big leagues by storm when he came up, and uh, obviously had a fabulous career. But uh, I mean, he was dominant. He had some very dominant years as as a closer. He was good.
0: Good no. argument to
2: be made. If we didn't bring him
0: up in '02, we don't win the World Series because he 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 came up as a middle reliever there right before Percival, and he was dominant. I know you weren't there, but. I mean, with the Angels at that moment,
2: like you alluded to earlier, but yeah, he was yeah he was oh he was unbelievable. He was he was good. Yeah, because I was saying I spent like the last few weeks with the team, but wasn't active. But I want to say he pitched like fifteen innings at the end of the year, yeah, right? thirty strikeouts or something. I mean, it was it was literally yeah. striking everybody out. And then he obviously had that great postseason run as well. You could
0: tell he, he really he seemed to cut, catch the uh, the batters off guard because they'd never seen it. he had they hadn't seen him before and hadn't okay. seen anybody quite like him. I mean, he was throwing mid high nineties. He was unbelievable, and yeah. I'd never heard of him before.
2: Yeah, and he had a great he had a great curveball too. I mean, yeah. He, he was yeah he was filthy.
1: Now this next guy has a huge presence on Twitter, very comical Twitter i've I've reached out to him many times to be a guest on the Dubuque area baseball podcast. I think that he is odd enough that he would do it. What about Danny heron?
2: Danny Heron, huh you know, I, I, I
1: throw don't... 88 on Twitter as his handle Yep,
2: yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah. I've actually seen him on Twitter. Um, You know, I don't know him that well. I I think he came in um, right at the end there for a little bit. He was there just past. uh, But uh, we did a few times after I was done playing when they were in Minnesota. uh, Danny Heron, Jared Weaver would uh, meet those guys out. He was a nice guy, just very laid back, had a, a, a funny sense of humor. But, um, yeah, I've definitely seen some stuff on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, good guy.
1: He just shared a story how he fell asleep in the dugout and a walk-off home run woke him up and he was ticked off that his nap got interrupted. <laughs> um, what about Bobby Abreu? You
2: know, Bobby, he was uh, a kind of a quiet guy, kept to himself. I mean, he was kind of one of those guys you'd call like a professional as far as, you know, he's a professional player all around. He was a good player, kept to himself, and, um I mean, he had a fabulous career. He's one of those guys that kind of flew under the radar. I mean, if you look back at uh, some of his numbers he's had some of the years, I mean, he put up some pretty darn good numbers. But uh, just more of a quiet guy, kind of kept to himself, but, uh, but, you know, he seemed to get along with everybody.
1: Now, this guy's legend has grown and grown throughout the years, Bartolo Colon.
2: The big sexy, huh? Oh, yeah you know it's a, a great story that most people don't know about Bartolo you obviously see this guy that uh, you know he's a he's a big boy um, he is probably one of the most flexible humans I have ever seen I mean before games he would literally do the splits lay his head down onto the ground you know if his belly wasn't if his belly was letting him get to the ground but I mean he could do the splits he could he could uh, he, he was actually a pretty Pretty good athlete, you know? I mean, obviously, he kind of, at the end of his career, they were kind of, you know, laughing with him, and he enjoyed it, but uh, he, he was a very flexible guy, had an awesome career, hated flying on airplanes. Absolutely hated flying on airplanes. Was scared to death every time. I don't know how he did it.
1: Now, is it true that he would come into the clubhouse, sit and face his locker and eat and not talk to anybody, go out and pitch? change and leave and not talk to anybody throughout the whole throughout the whole game or day is that true
2: no i wouldn't say that i would definitely say he was more quiet and would keep to himself um but uh you know he he was he was just a little bit shy i think is, is a good way of saying it but uh um you know he he did, he did like to eat he did like to you know have some post-game drinks and and stuff like that but uh i mean just a good good teammate all around i mean when you're when, you know, he pitched that year in 2005. He won the Cy Young for us. And, uh, you know, he didn't say a whole lot, but he goes out there every time and gives you, gives you the effort, and, and I had a great year.
1: He was my fantasy Cy Young, too, as well that year. Now we're going to touch upon another Dubuque mud puppy. What about both. the Weaver brothers, Jared and Jeff Weaver?
2: Yeah, I actually got a chance to play with both of them. Um, Jared is a good buddy of mine, real good buddy. Still talk to him, still connected today. Um, just a, a guy, a, a fun guy. He likes to have some fun. We've got a lot of fun together. Jeff, uh, his older brother, didn't know great. Only played with him for uh, about half a season. Kind of a little bit more quiet. He was kind of at, at towards the end of his career a little bit. But uh, crazy fact about those two is that Jared Weaver got called up to the major leagues because they released Jeff Weaver.
0: Mm. Didn't know
2: that. I, and he replaced him, didn't he? Or you? Yeah. Who, wait, yep. what? Yeah,
0: I, I, yep. I'd heard that, yeah. Yep. By the way, I want to go back to Bartolo Colon just for a second. All he right, was do the oldest, it. Uh, when he hit his first home run, he was 42. He's the oldest major leaguer to hit his first home run. Just a little footnote when he did oh, that. Oh, that that's awesome. Is what the Mets. <laughs> I and think then, it was down in San Diego, wasn't it, when he hit it down there? Uh, it might have been. It I, might I have been. Mets. But you got, if you haven't seen the video, Nick, you yeah. got to watch it. It's oh, I've great. Got,
1: Jason, oh, yeah. Jason, come on. I watch baseball all day. Give me a break here. <laughs> And then, Sorry, and then the last one here, and he has some ties to Minnesota as well. What about the great Tory Hunter?
2: Tory was another guy, just a, a fun loving guy. People loved him. And, and um, you know, when I say Guerrero was a superstar, he was, you know, baseball wise, um, was obviously a superstar. Tory maybe wasn't quite in Guerrero's category as a player, but. Pretty darn close, but he was just a guy that was easy to get along with. Everyone loved being around him. Everywhere he went, people wanted to talk to Tori. Everyone wanted to have a, a part of him, and, and just one of those guys that made people feel special. You just you know, you talked to him, and he made you feel good about yourself. I mean, I don't I don't know if there's anyone that that disliked him. And when he went out and play, he played hard. I mean, there he he played hard. He played center field. He went after it. But uh, probably one of the most well respected and liked players. That I played with.
0: I'm going to speak for Angel fans everywhere, and a little bit of this is in retrospect. We wish we had re-signed Tori Hunter instead of signing Josh Hamilton. <laughs>
1: All right, we'll let the Angel yeah, fans debate up. that on the message boards.
2: <laughs> yeah, there was a couple signings there for a few years that uh, maybe a little questionable, but uh, hopefully the Angels are back, Jason, on the right track here. I think they're uh, they're heading in the right direction. Hope so.
1: Next is our seventh inning stretch segment of the podcast, which is audience driven questions. Sit back and enjoy. Now, Rob, people don't know this about you, but you are an avid listener of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, and you know that our next segment is called the seventh inning stretch where we round up audience questions. We had a question come in from Jason Hayward. I'm sure you know him well because he commented on our post, and he said that you are their family's all-time favorite player. Where do you keep all your Pacific Coast League awards? your Rookie of the Year awards from the Pacific Coast League, and your MVP awards?
2: Yeah, first of all, the family, they were, they were in um, Salt Lake City, Utah, the Howards. Uh, Jason and kind of how I became just friends with them is, is their son Peyton was a was a big fan of mine. So I'd always come over and, and talk to their son Peyton, and he was always making signs and and uh, just had a great time. And, and, and him and his wife would come to the games with Peyton and and uh, just became good friends with them through the through the two years that I was out in Salt Lake. And uh, as far as the awards, I, I keep them, they're actually at my parents' house. My mom uh, kind of has a lot of, uh, I got two older brothers, a lot of our awards are kind of over there. And it's kind of one of those things where she's, you know, she, she's passed now, but she always kept all of our stuff and was like, if you want it, take it. If not, you know, we'll, we'll leave it here. And So it was kind of one of those things where I do have a lot of stuff at my parents' house and just kind of always worked out. And I think it, uh, you know, if I ever needed to get it, I can grab it back.
1: Now, your brother, Tom Quinlan, won a World Series ring for the Toronto Blue Jays. Did she have that as well, or is Tom flaunting that right now?
2: No, I I think that's uh, in a a safety deposit box somewhere. Um, He'll wear it every now and then, but uh, not too often. He's not really wanting to to show off the bling like that. I would hope so. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see.
1: Now, one of your most prize possessions that you shared with me i'm hoping hoping it's still at your house but you had the pink mother's day bat and i believe it was signed by muhammad ali is that correct
2: you know what they, they i do have a bunch of pink bats they would do for mother's day um, every year that they do it and you'd always get a bunch of pink bats i actually do have a muhammad ali signed bat just a regular one a lot of times in spring training he would come to the sites and, and hang out and, and the kind of the joke that I, I guess we learned after that he'd like to play a lot is he'd sit at the table and you know he was he was definitely older and, and moving slow and he'd kind of sit there and someone would you know come over a player or a coach and like try to talk to him and he'd kind of act like he was out of it and you know you kind of ask him something again and then just right out of the blue he'd, he'd act like he threw two punches at you really quick i mean you'd just scare the crap out of guys it's like it looks like he can barely move and all of a sudden. You know he could have he could have hit hit anyone hit at any one of us right away. It was just unbelievable. You know, still good he was at that age.
1: Now, before we get you out of here, um, your predictions on your two favorite teams for the upcoming season. What, what, what do you see the Twins and the Angels doing this year?
2: Well, I'm hoping they're going to play. That's what that's what I'm hoping for. They're going to play. Oh, I'm almost. keeping
1: my arm ready. If anybody yeah. needs me, a relief pitcher yeah. that hits 62, I'm available. Look yeah. me up on Twitter at Coach Manaman
2: yeah um yeah the twins i mean the twins yeah they had an awesome year last year i think they're going to be good again this year yeah i think the angels are are up and coming and um god it's just you you want them to win you, you want trout to win mike trout i mean the best player in the game and uh you know he's, i think he's only played three playoff games in his whole career and they didn't win any of them so i'd love for the angels to get back to be good i know jason would um like we talked about earlier i think joe madden's the right guy kind of get them back on track and uh hopefully they have a you know a great great run here for many of years
1: we know when we hear mariano rivera's music in the background the podcast is coming to an end just like the game did when he entered stick around for closing time It's become tradition here at the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast to end it with our closing time segment. We give every single guest a corny baseball-related nickname, and then they share a story about baseball. So I'd like to thank Rob Quinlan of the Dubuque Mud Puppies, Hall of Famer for the Minnesota Golden Gophers, and Major League Big Leaguer of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Rob Quinlan, for joining us. Rob, we're going to have a quality at bat with Quinlan.
2: Well, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Um, always good to catch up with you, Nick. Nice meeting you, Jason. Um Same here. Just as far as is, as, as, uh, yeah, not maybe a corny story or nothing like that, but just kind of hoping that uh, I got some nephews and with everything that's going on in the world today that, uh, you know, we just kind of said hopefully everyone can get back to playing baseball or, or being outside playing the sports that they like. And uh, I know my two nephews right now are – are uh, uh you know missing playing and, and missing their their spring season and and uh nick i know you got summer ball coming up here and, and jason's coaching and and you know i just want everyone to get back to some normalcy and you know i feel bad for the kids that they can't get out there and play right now i mean if i know if i was that age and, and couldn't play i'd be um, heartbroken so really i just am hoping everything kind of gets back to normal here so everyone can kind of get back on with what they're doing and and uh, like i said it's, it's it's about the kids that think can get out there and play and you know, it's a good time for them to get out and practice on your own, um, do some things on your own, hit in the cage. I know that's a, when I was in high school, a lot of times I'd run sprints in the backyard, hit into the hit into, uh, a gnat, do different things. It's kind of a great time for you to focus on the little things right now and, and be ready to go here once the season starts back up.
1: In my Minute with Manaman section here on closing time, I want to piggyback a little bit on what Rob said. He said that you should be taking advantage of this time to get better on your own. And I've seen a lot of high school and college coaches posting this, that once this lockdown, quarantine, whatever ends, you're really going to be able to tell who's been practicing, who's been getting better over who's been playing video games for 20 hours of the 24-hour day. So use this time to get better. Run some sprints in the backyard. Set up a tee. Hit it into a net. Do what you need to do to get better. Because once this quarantine is lifted, it's really going to show who's been working hard and who's been being a slouch. And just like that, 643, we're out of here. Post game show is brought to you by. Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.